This is the Tom Bigby Tales podcast. I'm Shannon Evans, and I write about a small town in Northeast Mississippi called Columbus. In today's episode, part two of Leroy Brooks and the Bully Pulpit, let's start with a little history of some of the board members. In 2020, the Board of Supervisors appointed Joe Beckett to replace Mark Castleberry. Beckett is an antebellum homeowner and has a deep kinship with this town. He owns a business in Columbus that specializes in restoration work on the many historic older homes in Lowndes County. He is the owner of the Haley Reeves home and has lived in Columbus since 1989. John Holloman from the Board of Supervisors recommended Joe to the board, and he was endorsed by Harry Sanders. However, Brooks raised his disappointment that no African-American had been appointed in years. He went on to add, we should at least try to have some, some diversity, and he's not wrong. However, the board is roughly half African-American. This made all the county-appointed vacancies full on the CV board at that time. Retired Lieutenant Colonel Sonic Johnson, a former Air Force pilot and Columbus Air Force Base Public Affairs Director, was also appointed by the Board of Supervisors and the city, <clears throat> by the Board of Supervisors and the city as a joint appointment who replaced Tango Moore to complete his Moore that would run until September of 2020. Johnson had worked with the CVB on fireworks on the water from the military basis society side of things for years. Carpenter even praised their years of work together and his understanding of economics and tourism. In the meantime, the County Board of Supervisors were in a pissing match with an internal issue that became an, another vocal touch point for Brooks to bluster and bloviate in the newspaper. The county administrator, Ralph Billingsley, was given an ultimatum to resign or be fired. Brooks alleged in a March 21, 2020 article that Trip Hairston was trying to remove Billingsley and have one of his friends installed. However, Brooks would not or could not name who that friend was. Brooks used the pandemic as a reason to keep Billingsley despite a lackluster performance. Billingsley would later sue the Board of Supervisors members John Holloman and Harry Sanders for age discrimination, defamation, and interference in employment. A settlement would be reached behind closed doors in 2022 between the Board of Supervisors Insurance Company and Billingsley. But back to the beginning of Billingsley's woes, Brooks at that time is on the record saying, I don't like these clandestine politics. We at Tumbigby Tales find these words awfully ironic, considering Brooks's own backdoor dealings with Juneteenth funding over the years, and now his letter to the CVB board threatening their appointments if they don't vote the way he wants them to do. But back in 2020, Harry Sanders and Leroy Brooks continued to clash publicly. Sanders on local TV station was responding to was responded to in a letter to the editor by Brooks. Brooks chastised Sanders for making personal and professional attacks on others and went on to accuse Sanders of manipulating others to compromise their integrity. It would seem that Brooks either studied Sanders on the art of manipulation or he was <clears throat> merely calling out the behaviors he himself knew so well. You see, Leroy is a character, as my daddy would say. 
Leroy, according to my mother, a retired journalist, is known for reading the paper while someone speaks before the board of supervisor on any topic he doesn't care to hear. Yes, that's correct. He reads the paper and is disrespectful to people who elected him. When Billingsley's replacement hires vote was made, Brooks not only dissented, he got up and made a show of walking out of the meeting. 2021 came along and was mostly quiet as the count as the <clears throat> as the county struggled through the pandemic. The 24th annual Juneteenth celebration, however, went off without a hitch. <clears throat> November 2021, the CVB agreed to give the newly formed Preservation Society, another group in town, $125,000. The Preservation Society was developed in, in order to resurrect and reinvigorate the pilgrimage, which is the tour of the antebellum homes in Columbus. Nancy Carpenter was concerned as it was more money than had been spent on the neighborhood festivals combined. The optics of funding a group that to many has represented the Old South was not good. Carpenter, in her argument, completely glossed over or ignored the Preservation Society's plans to add Victorian homes and tell a broader story and try to be more inclusive. The group planned to also purchase derelict historical sites and restore them and sell them. The plan passed readily through the board with Hicks, Lawrence, and Brock Reynolds voting no. In the meantime, the vote at the CVB went unnoticed as Brooks was busy avoiding sitting at the same board of supervisors table with old Harry Sanders because of Sanders' racist viewpoints. The two were so busy pushing each other's buttons they failed to notice the CVB's commitment of a large sum of money, which none of the other neighborhood organizations have ever had a chance of receiving, even one-third of the amount that they were now going to fund the Preservation Society. In March of 2022, COVID relief funds were headed towards Lowndes County to the tune of $11.2 million. Leroy Brooks presented a draft plan to the Board of Supervisors of how the money would be spent. Roughly half would go toward rural water and, and sewer projects and much-needed area. The rest would go to four categories. Lowndes County Industrial Development Authority with $1.4 million, $800,000 for nonprofits, and $465,000 for tourism. Then the last $250,000 for law enforcement. An additional set of monies would also be coming from ARPA. Most of the board discussion related to ARPA went to fund repairs and improvements to county facilities. Brooks argued the goal was that the funds should benefit as many citizens as possible. The city was asking for $1 million to help with urban renewal blight removal and wanted another $3 million to match stormwater drainage improvements. The project kept growing in request, and Brooks pushed back and advocated for the small rural communities of Caledonia, Crawford, and Artesia, the underheard, as well as the underserved. In April 2022, at the Board of Supervisors meetings, he recommended 10K for Artesia for their festival. Nothing was said about Crawford or Caledonia. This led into the summer showdown where Carpenter's contract would be reviewed with the CVB and it went from three years to one year. Her annual salary for, for her work with the Columbus Cultural Heritage Foundation and the CVB directorship was $120,545. 
the board felt that since the homeowners pulled the pilgrimage from the CVB, her responsibilities had changed and diminished. Carpenter was was fine with a one-year contract per her comments to the dispatch. The board asked their attorney for input on ethics of her being paid for two jobs from the same pot of money. The board who would decide her future was now mostly new members and not as willing to tolerate her misdeeds and shenanigans. Nancy claimed thousands of people came through the Tennessee Williams Visitor Center each year, a claim she still makes but never substantiates with sign-in sheet numbers, hotel stays, or any other metric. In February of 2022, Brooks announced the 25th anniversary of the Columbus Juneteenth celebration. And instead of a three-day event, this one would be 10 days, thus ballooning the budget to $40,000 or more. The bands now cost $12,000 plus, and since he was using two acts, that also meant renting 14 hotel rooms and meals for 20 people, and so on and so on. The event already was slated to get $15,000 from the 2% tax and wanted and he wanted to use the Trotter Center for free of charge, an in-kind donation. The Trotter would be used for a BYOB uh, Freedom Ball. He got the city council vote to approve the in-kind donation of the Trotter. And the Juneteenth celebration went off without a hitch. In September of 2022, Carpenter signed her one-year contract as executive director of both organizations without additional financial compensations. Her salary was reduced from $121,785 to $110,556. Carpenter had no comment about the new contract. In 2022, the same year, Sonic Johnson's term ended and he reapplied, as did Matt Bogue. Bogue was selected to replace Johnson by the Board of Supervisors, Hairston and Mayor Gaskin. Now, all is quiet as the board moved into 2023 and another lackluster pilgrimage season in May of 2023. That was when an alleged rift occurred between Carpenter and board member Joe Beckett. Carpenter went to the Board of Supervisor John Holloman and claimed Beckett was trying to remove Carpenter as director of the CVB. This was all news to Beckett, as he was told after the fact that he had been removed from the board. No meeting was ever held to resolve the issue, much less discuss it. Beckett was shocked by the removal and vehemently denied he had a contentious relationship with Carpenter. To the contrary, as a friend and a former Insurance inspector Beckett was helping Carpenter with recent storm damage claims to make sure she was doing it correctly and not being taken advantage of. Beckett reiterated he wasn't aware of any problems between him and Carpenter. He was stunned no one even spoke to him to let him know there was a problem, much less defend himself. Once more, Carpenter succeeded in removing anyone who questioned her actions or voiced concerns about her behaviors and decisions as CEO. Now, What does this have to do with Leroy Brooks? Well, hang in there a few more minutes, and I will connect the dots. After Beckett's departure, Carpenter and the CVB locked horns for real in July. Carpenter had gone over the year's marketing budget by $66,000. Spending more than the $222,000 budget she was allocated was still one more quarter to go in the fiscal year. 
Carpenter shrugged it off as nothing unusual in the industry. Quinn Brislin, newly appointed to complete Beckett's term, said decisions to cut, cease, or increase spending were board decisions, not Carpenter's. The board requested detailed records of all marketing expenses on what was spent on all advertising and event and festival marketing. In that same meeting, a letter was discussed that questioned Nancy's job performance, and it was sent <clears throat> by a private citizen. It was in this disclosure meeting where some irregularities in funding of marketing was exposed, was exposed starting with the Jumbotron added at MSU for $86,000. The more interesting amounts had to do with the funding of Juneteenth and how additional funding was provided. What, what is not known is, was it done with board approval? It was above and beyond the usual $15,000 allotted for Juneteenth. An additional $5,000 was written to A&M Entertainment. Could this be why Mr. Brooks was so anxious to endorse Carpenter's rehire to protect his pet project and his cash cow? Why is he so adamant in his support of the director and board members he has called racist and stingy in the past? What reason would he have to bully the board with a letter threatening their positions on the board if they do not vote how he wants them to vote? What motivated him to then come to the board meeting and sit over an hour on an overpriced and horribly uncomfortable sofa and wait to wave to the board before scooting out the door as soon as he was recognized? Why would an elected official in a runoff election result to bullying tactics to influence a vote for a tourism office director. Why? For what reason could there be other than the money for Juneteenth? We deserve to know why an elected official is interfering with the vote of an, of an appointed independent board. And that is today's question. Keep shining sunlight on the problems in our little town. Keep digging for the truth because we all know Sunlight truly is the best disinfectant. Until next time.